0: Well, it looks like you guys are back again. So thank you for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Visual, the podcast where I interview all those people responsible for creating uh, the videos and images and all that kind of stuff you see out in the world every day. I am your host, advertising and lifestyle photographer, Mark Hansen. And today my guest is Bowen Mendelssohn. Bowen is the executive creative director at the With Agency in Atlanta And we talk about all kinds of stuff. We talk about his love of skiing when he lived out in Colorado. We talk about um, how Gilbert Godfrey did a little thing for him, uh, announcing he was freelance when he was freelance at the time, and how he mispronounced his name. And he did it all through Cameo, so you can go to Cameo and hire Gilbert Godfrey to do the same thing for you if you want. We talk about mosquito repellent diapers that he helped work on. We also talk about his internship at McCann where he just wanted his boss's approval and everything to be noticed. And he thought one day he was, and then found out not so much. So check that out. And also working what it was like to do a shoot with Chevy chase and go to his house in Malibu and meet him. Um, So I think it was Malibu may not have been anyway, it was in California. So anyway, go check it out. Listen to this one. It's a good one. I think you'll enjoy it. And, uh, let me know what you think. I saw the Gilbert Godfrey video. Yeah, that he did for you, that was cool. So yeah, tell- is it Bowen or is it Bowen? It's
1: Bowen, and that's, okay, <laughs> that's, what was, that's what was so great about that video because I love that he butchered my name because. I <laughs> it just added that layer of just awesomeness to it because that's the one thing that's great about cameo is like, gosh, it's, I, I did one for my wife and on, I think it was on mother's day and I actually wrote a song and it was for Lisa Loeb and, (laughs) and Lisa Loeb actually sang the song and it was great because the song was just like so incredibly dumb about how my wife is you know like is a great mom and like how she washes butts and like, Luther <laughs> Love actually sang it, and it was just it was just amazing because, I don't know, just like having like a singer like sing a song that you just wrote
0: just kind of like, off the top of your head for your wife. It was it was really. I think cool. that was pretty cool. Look, so did I she have it. the melody and all that? Did you? How did you get that to her? She or she, she just did, make it up. She just made it up. Like oh, it was. I was, it was, I mean,
1: it was, it was great. It was really awesome. Have you used Cameo a lot? So I've used it twice, the Gilbert Gottfried one, and then Lisa Lowe. But I think it's just a really amazing, it's a really amazing platform because it just allows you to, you know, send messages to people and it feels endearing and it feels personal. Like my experience the celebrities do a great job to like make it seem like, hey, I'm just reaching out to you. Like, hey, this is iced tea. Right. Just reaching out to you to wish you a happy birthday or congratulations on that
0: promotion. <laughs> yeah, I've talked to um, was it Kevin L. Johnson from Ozark and he was talking about how he's on there. And he said like Mother's Day was a huge day for him. He made like six $800 or something on Mother's Day just from doing yeah. little cameo bits.
1: It's it's really great because it allows like the normal everyday person to tap into celebrity talent.
0: There's some big people on there that I, I wouldn't have thought would have been on there, but then they're like five hundred dollars to get them to do something as well. So yeah, you gotta like have a little bit Snoop of Snoop Dogg.
1: Snoop Dogg's on there for
0: five hundred bucks. Who is Snoop Dogg? Oh, that's right. Yeah, that must. That's maybe who I'm thinking about because I remember when I saw somebody I was like, damn, they're on here, and then I saw it was like five hundred dollars. Like, All right, okay, that makes yeah. a little more sense. It's interesting for sure. Yeah. So man, tell me a little bit about you. I want to know like how you got into this. I mean, what made, what got you to Atlanta? I mean, where'd you grow up? All that Ooh. kind of stuff. So I grew up in Colorado uh-huh.
1: and um, I was like, literally like born on a ski slope. Like my, like I, I started skiing around the time I was, Jesus, it was just shy of my third birthday and Damn, growing God. up like, that's all that we did. is like my parents constantly had me outside and like we would camp in the summer, ski in the winter, and it was it was amazing. Like it was a really great childhood.
0: Did you want to be uh, a
1: uh, like professional skier or anything
0: like that when you were growing up?
1: Uh no. I like that's also another thing about I just kind of maybe lacked the motivation to do yeah. that. And my parents and my parents were just sort of like, "Oh, you like to do this, okay. That's fun." And and like I definitely took it for granted now that I live in Atlanta and I don't ever get to ski. I mean I go every year, but it's it's 65 days versus you know versus like four, 65 days a year versus like two if I right. like. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's a little bit so, of a difference. Yeah.
1: So, and then I went to University of Colorado. I, I went to a small school in California because I played lacrosse in
0: college and then i was is a your teeth knocked topic. out playing lacrosse what's that you get your teeth bashed in when you play lacrosse no
1: that's that's like hockey uh, lacrosse is like a light like less like
0: like a like a wimpier version of it like i just imagine you're going back and like and the ball gets slammed into your mouth or something
1: you get there's a you have a really good mask
0: on like a or a
1: good helmet on with like a really good protective shield <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's good um,
1: So, so, and then I was a computer science major, if you can believe it. And then I quickly realized that I'm not a compute computer science guy.
0: Like you have no idea how many people I've talked to. It's the same kind of deal. They're like some kind of total science math kind of thing they go into college for, and then they realize, nah, that's not what I want to do. Which just shocked the hell out of me. I didn't expect that. uh, Yeah, it was. It was. I think I just like. All of my friends
1: in high school, a good a good amount of them were like were like, you know, that kind of like a lot of them became investment guys or like lawyers and you know a couple of the on the fringe like myself and my other buddy like my buddy became like an installation artist. And I and like he and I made a pact in high school where like dude, let's get jobs where we don't ever have to wear a tie. It was like <laughs> deal. He became an artist and I went into advertising. (laughs) Um, And then I transferred to CU because they had a really, University of Colorado, because they had a really good journalism school. And I knew that I wanted to get into advertising, which is weird. Wow. Uh, And so then I went there and then I went to New York for my first big internship in McCann out of college. I had my book, like this is back in the days where you actually had a book and I think I even had a piece laminated and I showed it to a career director and he looks at me He's like, it was his name was Steve Skiba, which believe it or not, like he became my boss later in life. And he looked at me and he really? says like, have you ever thought about going to ad school? <laughs> Cause my book was so bad out of college. <laughs> and I didn't, you know, like it was really interesting because like, I thought I was all that. And, right. and it turned out that I didn't know anything so then i went to miami ad school and that was sort of like that was great like it was awesome because i got to go around to different cities and you know go into different agencies be at leo burnett you know which is gigantic yeah, to damn. and be in these big meetings and and learn from these great people and then uh you know after i graduated i was lucky enough to land a job at deutsch in los angeles and was there for six years and it was great. Like, I didn't know, like talk about taking some for granted. I didn't know how good I had it out there. Like in the six years I was there, no one left. Really? And we were like a family and we just had fun. I mean, we worked our butts off. Like I always tell everyone, it's was like, I lived in uh, Hermosa beach for a year yeah. and a half, like two blocks from the beach. I could see people surf from my couch. Yeah. And I don't think I saw a sunset because I was always at work. <laughs> really? Oh God. And it, but it was, but it was fun. Like we had a, we had a good time. And then, you know, I, I decided, I was like, you know what? I, I want, I don't want to marry the first girl that I date. So I moved to New York and I remember waking up on January 5th and in this apartment in Lower East Side, where I swear to God, I heard rats scurrying <laughs> around at night from my Venice beach like condo two blocks from the beach to this lower east side apartment.
0: That's and on right I was there.
1: Outside and there was snow. And I was just like, what the hell did I just do to myself? But you know what? Like, looking back on it, it was great. Because, you know, first off, I met my wife there and you know, we've been married now for 12 years and that was awesome. And I just got to experience a whole different side of advertising. I wouldn't have experienced if I would have stayed in Los Angeles.
0: What's the difference between the clients you guys had in the two agencies? Was there a big one or was,
1: um, you know what? Like the, no, the, the clients were the same. It was just sort of like the, uh, Approach to it like LA always seemed like the ad market always seemed to like take a back seat to the entertainment industry, yeah. And um, New York it felt more like oh, there's a gigantic building, you know, for McCann and there's tons of floors, and 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 that was just it was really good to get like more of like the business side of advertising. I think right. I learned there. And then since then, I've moved to back to L.A., to Chicago for a couple of years, to Northern California, you and know. now to Atlanta. So we were in Northern California and my wife was working for Apple. Okay. And I was just sort of like freelancing around. I, you know, got a chance to work at Uber, which was great. And, um, and then. Is that
0: right? How long had Uber been around at that point?
1: It had been around for a while. My buddy was the director of brand, and uh, this guy the name of Adam Kennedy, who's who's awesome, great guy, and uh, he brought me in to do some freelance, and uh, and then like something happened, and and Adam wasn't there anymore, and I think it was you know it was obviously his decision, and and I just like I wasn't gonna stick around (laughs) because he was the reason why I was there, right. and then my wife got sick, unfortunately, and she had to have brain surgery. And oh, while damn. she was having, you know, while she was recovering. Uh, she
0: okay? I mean, she recovered fully from all that? Or?
1: Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, For the most part. And, um, you know, just like being in Silicon Valley and she wasn't working for Apple anymore. And Atlanta, a job opportunity at FitzCO came up. And my wife and I were like, I said to her one day. I said, "Like, hey, what do you think about Atlanta?" She's like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, let's look." And so we started looking at houses, and we're like, "Oh my gosh, like, we could live like, I don't know, like, a, like a drug dealer down there." <laughs> Wait, the, is that house say five thousand square feet? Wait, that's the price. And it was a little bit of a sticker shot because we were in Northern California, where oh, yeah. uh, twelve hundred square foot a uh, house that my wife dubbed as the trailer um,
0: <laughs> was like $2 million. <laughs> yeah. My brother moved to Pasadena. He, he's an architect and they were sending him out to LA for two years to work with um, Diesel. Not diesel lucky to redesign all their stores and stuff. Oh, wow. And so he got a place in Pasadena and I thought he may end up living out there. So I looked up the price and I found what looked like a crappy little pool house that was mostly cinder block, and it was a little over a thousand square feet. And I swear to God, it was like a million dollars. Oh, it's it's. So when we were when we were living there, someone legit
1: rented out a crawl space for five hundred dollars a month. Like it may have been a joke, but the fact that like that the person <laughs> got some applications is the is the problem. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, and so we moved to Atlanta, and honestly, like, I didn't have any opinion of it. I had a friend that grew up here, uh, and we moved here, and I was like, "This place is awesome. Like, it's it's outdoorsy enough that sort of can you know gives me the hint of Colorado. Yeah, there's hiking nearby, there's good mountain biking, and then the 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 city itself has just a really great like feel to it and it's a really good like mix of you know different cultures and also it has a rich history you know civil rights and and um and it just it's just like it just feels like that they're investing a lot into the city and so we like we kind of fell in love with it and you know we live in the suburbs and we live in this community where there's like a community pool and 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 people go to the community pool and all the neighbors actually hang out and the kids actually play together. It's... Well, that's cool. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. And, you know, Atlanta itself is... It's just a really... It's a really great city and it has a really good culture here and, uh, and a good vibe. Like, it's wow. nothing like I expected it.
0: How long does it take you to get to work?
1: Uh, 20 minutes? Horrible. Really? 20, well, I mean, but this is like pandemic getting to work
0: (laughs) before pandemic how long did it take you oh geez man
1: uh probably probably more like 35 minutes it really it's funny it's not not bad it's not like la where like la is like there is no no, uh rush hour rush hour is just all the time
0: (laughs) yeah i swear i was there one time i went i want to say four and a half miles and it took me 45 minutes an hour to do four and a half miles
1: Oh yeah, like we used to drive up to Mammoth during the weekends, and the rule would be like, all right, we leave at noon on Friday, or we don't leave until nine at night on Friday. Yeah, and because otherwise it would just take you so long and just be ridiculous and awful. And by the time you got there, you would hate everything.
0: <laughs> and that's saying a lot because I always thought. Atlanta traffic was terrible. And then I went to LA and I was like, all right, not quite Atlanta traffic. Is not quite as bad as I, it could be.
1: Yeah. It's, it's just, it, it ebbs and flows and it's really like, it's there, there's a true rush hour, which yeah. if you can work around that, then you're golden.
0: Are you still going into work, into the office?
1: Uh, yeah, we go in. So I'm working at a small, smaller place now and there's less than you know usually less than 10 people in the office so we go in three days a week My, uh tuesday usually tuesday wednesday friday okay sorry tuesday wednesday thursday so That's yeah not bad. no it's not it's not bad it's yeah. um it's you know it's good to like meet face to face and you know we all wear masks and it's and it's really uh it's it's safe but you know it's kind of nice to have that like in-person camaraderie
0: yeah, I would think. I've heard some places talking about not going back till – well, I was talking to Greg Gorman at L.O. Bean. He's told me that they're building a new major headquarters or they're re- revitalizing it or something. And he said they have told them that they're staying home till 2022. They're not going back at all next year. I guess because they had pushed up the renovations from, like, a five-year thing to now since nobody's there. And now he's home for the next almost two years.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that, you know, like, I think like REI is doing the same thing, right? Like REI is like giving up their, or is that the same, is that, that's not the same company. No. 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 Uh, no R, yeah. REI uh, I believe like is giving up their headquarters and I think letting people work remotely. Yeah. Definitely.
0: Well, my brother, like I said, he's an architect. He said, they've been slammed. He said, cause all these people who were one, the renovations to their headquarters and having everybody out of the office now. he said, it's giving them plenty of time. So they're calling going, Hey, come in, let's do it now. Let's do it now. Let's do it now. And then I heard somebody else in New York was telling me that she didn't think that their agency would ever go back to everybody being there in person again, that it would be one of those things where you just rent out, um, you know, block off time in one of the conference rooms or something.
1: Yeah. I, I honestly think that, you know, so when, when Corona, when Corona hit, I was, I was, Uh, the director of creative for orange theory and i was flying down there every single week and there was sort of like this um and where they was it they're in boca okay and there was sort of like this there was sort of like this thought that like yeah you know we have to you know all be in in the office together uh you know and like working remote is wasn't you know really like a thought that you know a lot of people sort of like entertained. But then I think a lot of companies have realized that it's, it you know, it it's a nice option, you know, yeah, especially yeah. if it alleviates stress on the part of the employee, because like that stress really, you know, it really like hampers productivity, especially for a creative, because if my brain is going down the stress lane, like, like like the 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 create the creative faucet is like shut off oh yeah <laughs> it's it's done so i mean yeah i basically worked from my basement and i found other places like my deck and uh my man cave or i would like be sitting upstairs in my master bedroom on a couch or you know you find interesting places and it's sort of like oh where will you know so-and-so be working from today <laughs> and we we just got it done and uh we we were really super productive and it was it was actually pretty great
0: yeah man, i so, think if it works it's good and i think seems like a lot of people are figuring out how to make it work yeah right now you just it really
1: just sort of like puts it on you yeah. It's 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 like hey, you know what needs to be done, you have to get it done.
0: And so when you were at Orange Theory, that was you're like that's the client side, right? So client side. Guys, were you guys hiring ad agencies when you were at Orange Theory?
1: Yeah, so we worked with we were working with two. We were working with Tombras and then uh, Sapient, which I think is now Razorfish, or maybe it was Razorfish and now became Sapient. It's 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 one of the two. Right. Um. Yeah. we were, we were working with them. They, so, uh, Orange Cherry still works with Tom Briss, but, uh, there's, so I was running the internal agency, uh, and I had a crew of about, I think a crew of like about seven people and we just went and made stuff for members. And I'd been a member for seven years. So it was, it was like, it was my dream job. It was amazing. It was a lot of fun. And then when coronavirus hit, I got to, you know, co-create Orange Theory at home, which was they'd never had a digital version of their, of their workouts. And so
0: I got to co-create that. And that was, that was awesome. It was a great experience. Yeah. Did everybody start freaking out when this whole coronavirus thing hit with Orange Theory, especially since it's a gym and everybody had to go there to work out in person? You know what, like, people
1: did freak out, and it was, but at the same time, like, there was a mentality of, like, what do we got to do to get this done? Like, it was it was really cool to see that everyone sort of, like, didn't allow the stress and the freak and the sort of, like, the thought of all the studios closing, like, hinder. We just sort of, like, sprung to action and started to come up with solutions. Well, it was good. really it was really awesome to see. And it was inspiring because I mean, at that point, you're right. You have two options. You can either shut it down and just kind of throw your hands up or you could be like, Hey, what, let's, let's just, what do we have to do? Let's get this done.
0: Who came up with the uh, online idea? Um, well, so believe it or not, we were, we
1: had another plan to, 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 to get the, the workouts to members and it probably wasn't, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it was, it probably wasn't the best idea. Yeah, And so it was literally like, it was myself and then, um, you know, Dr. Rachel Reed, who's the head of fitness there. And we just sort of like birthed the idea of this. And so literally I went back to my Airbnb, my sad Airbnb and uh wrote a script if you will based off of the the workout template that she provided showed up the next day the our awesome producer margin like secured a spot where we could go shoot and we shot the very first one that next day and the way we did it we just sort of like the way we did it was like we were like okay so if a person's at home they probably don't have weights so what can we do give them options that they have around the house okay so if you don't have weights use paint cans um if you don't have uh, blah 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 use this and so we so we really like we really thought through the member and like and like in putting ourselves in their shoes and really tried to give them options based off of their situation and i think that that's why it was popular because people love Orange Theory and they really loved that they could still get a taste of it while quarantining at home.
0: Well, the fact that you guys thought all the way through, I think is impressive because my wife had these workouts and they were like, all right, we'll go over now and grab a pull up pull-up bar. And like, I don't have a damn pull up bar. There's no pull up bar in this house. You know, how am I doing do that exercise when there's, we don't have any of that stuff? Yeah, it's,
1: you know, there, there's a, there's a lot of very smart people at Orange Theory and and. You know, it it was just a re- it was just a really good collection of folks, you know, trying to come up with new ways to get these get these workouts to the members and keep the members engaged in the brand.
0: So w- when you left Orange Theory, then now you're with the With Agency. Is that it?
1: Yeah, it's called the With Agency, um, and it was it's, I know it's weird to go back for like, I've, you know, you've always heard like, like creative saying like, Oh, once I get out of agency land, I'm never going to go back. And so why would I go back from like a global, you know, fitness company, which is, you know, amazing. It has a great following and a great brand, you know, to a small agency. And it's really because I believed in the founders of the of the with agency and sort of like their way of thinking and their way of doing things and i was like wow it kind of made me realize that ad agencies kind of suck at advertising for themselves
0: yeah if you think about it and yeah some of the worst websites i've seen have been ad agency websites
1: (laughs) it's so amazing and and it just is because a lot of them don't really have a story Like they're like, it's, it's never like, Oh, Hey, um, it's always just sort of like, Oh, widening Kennedy. It's amazing. Well, because of your approach it's like, no, we hired great people and we just do fantastic work. And, and, and I felt like with, and the way that they collectively thought about things and the way that they do things and get to know their clients and like with means, with clients sort of like understanding, like they really get to know their clients and, and understand. And there's, there's a whole uh, there's a whole way that they go about doing it and, and, and like a, in a process, a proprietary process. And I was like, wow, that's really cool that you all thought about that. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to jump back into agency land. And here I am third, I think it's my third month. And it's uh it's, it's fun and interesting and also scary because you have to wear a lot of different hats because it's a smaller place, but you know, we, we get it done and, and, and we do the best we can, especially given the fact that there's a pandemic and uncertain times. ahead.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No kidding, man. Between like a a smaller place like with, and then, you know, one of the bigger agencies you've been at, what's the biggest difference? I mean, do you like the bigger agencies better? You like the smaller agencies better? Is it just it's a different thing it, altogether?
1: It depends on what you want out of a job. Yeah. You want to just sort of like hide and just do what you're supposed to do and go home at the end of the day and, you know, maybe shoot some spots throughout the year or go make a cool idea every once in a while. Or do you want to be in the thick of it and really affect change and and be a part of decisions so that's the difference between a big agency and a small agency so like a
0: small agency would be more fun it's, it's if you want to if you want to get into doing things as opposed to just sitting around doing what you're told yeah and it allows you to wear a bunch of different hats and flex
1: different muscles and 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 really just sort of like okay so I'm not just a creative, but I'm also sort of like, I have to think about strategy and I also have to think about, um, you know, how can we use media in a different way and how can we go mind for clients? So thinking about business development, I know that creatives usually do that, but it, it just seems like it's in a different
0: capacity. How do you get clients at an agency, especially a smaller agency? Is it? Yeah
1: it's so it's like it's it's either you know word of mouth like one client that you work with tells a friend yeah. or you reach out to old clients that you've had or you do some great work and it gets out there in the world and gets written up in adweek and clients find you that way so it's it's a it's a bunch of different ways
0: yeah i don't know if it was like say you guys wanted coke if you like put together something and send it to Coke? Or do you call them? Do you call somebody up over there and go, Hey, we want to come in and meet with you guys or.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, you have to, you have to sort of like know people there. Yeah. Because I guarantee you, like every agency under the sun is trying to get in, you know, with Coke or with, right. or with Nike or, you know, with, with some of the, you know, beloved brands yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: So it's pretty much like everything else. You better know somebody.
1: Yeah. and it's, yeah. A lot of those things are, you know, about relationships, unless you go off and you pitch like a big piece of business.
0: Even that, one, one um thing I thought she did was the mosquito diapers. Yeah. Tell me about that, man, because I've never heard of mosquito diapers. So it was so a lot of a lot of things, you know, that we
1: that I worked on uh, throughout the years, like. It, it was just sort of like this, like my time at Ogilvy in Chicago was really about, uh, was, was, was the time that I realized that advertising is, doesn't always have to exist in like a, whatever you call it. it. doesn't always have to exist in the TV or in the radio or in digital, like advertising or marketing can really be anything. And, and the mosquito repelling diaper was really just us you know it's because Huggies was had a partnership with malaria no more, and um we learned that malaria was the largest or was was the single biggest killer of babies in uh, in 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 the part of Africa and so we're like trying to think through since huggies and since um you know diapers like that are a luxury out there
0: yeah we
1: wanted to think through okay so so they usually use diapers like diapers like this at nighttime and we knew that it wasn't going to be like the thing that stopped malaria but at least it was like one tool in their arsenal that they could use to help stave off mosquitoes so that's that was just it was just an idea that we came up with. I mean, I wish there was like a bigger, like grander story about it. I but thought, I mean, I just thought the whole, just the idea was impressive. It yeah. was just one of those things where, you know, it's just one of, one of those things, I guess that I learned throughout my career. It's like, ideas are always out there based off of things that are happening in the world problems that you're trying to solve with a product or, you know what I'm saying? Like,
0: yeah. I mean, it makes sense.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a lot of that out there. And, and I feel like that that's the best way to be proactive.
0: You know, I thought it was a genius idea. I mean, just I mean, I saw that and I, I immediately saw it on your website. And I just stopped because I just saw the mosquito repellent diapers. I just went what and I just stopped and checked it out. And yeah, I thought it was a pretty cool deal. No, what would be like, out of everything you've done so far? Like, give me some story about one of your favorite shoots or maybe a cool location you went or something like that, that you really enjoyed. So I, uh, this, so this is,
1: this is probably one of like, this is one of those things when, in advertising where like a shoot went above. So we were off shooting uh Navy federal uh, credit union and we were shooting with Wayne McClammy and Wayne McClammy is the most awesome director and here's why he was so great he was great because he oh he was so collaborative but he didn't like he wouldn't listen to what you wanted and work away from it he would listen to what you wanted and figured out a way to do it better client comments everything i was like wow that's a really genius way of doing things yeah, so yeah. he shot our navy federal stuff and we made snow in los angeles uh what else did we do we um we made a uh we made a um like a tough mutter type type event out in the desert but the greatest thing we did was we went to this location in malibu and it was like on this cliff overlooking the pacific ocean i think like sting's house was down on the right and um and it was just like this amazing, amazing thing. You had to walk down this like set of staircases to get to the house. that was on the bottom and the waves were crashing against the rocks and it was this beautiful location. And I guarantee it was really expensive. And literally like the shot that we shot at that location could have been shot at like a kiddie pool. And it was just like all of this hoopla for this, maybe three second clip that was on the very end of one of the commercials oh wow <laughs> it was it was just sort of like wow that's so funny that we went through all this and that's all that you use of it
0: do you ever get the feeling that sometimes producers or clients just want to shoot in a certain area and they it doesn't matter because i was in or i was in palm Springs shooting one time for a week And basically what they wanted was everything in the background blown out of focus and mostly sky. So I laid basically on the ground almost every day for a week shooting at the sky and getting just a little bit of, you know, mountain or location house or whatever in the shot. And I was joking with my assistants, like, we could have shot this outside, you know, the company's headquarters in California to do it. Yeah, it's, I
1: mean, yeah, there's, there's like an old joke amongst creative is like, you always start off the script of open in France or open <laughs> up on a beach in Bora Bora. Yeah. It, now that I think about it, I shot some Expedia commercials really early in my career that took me to Australia for three weeks. Oh, that's cool. And,
0: and then my. Did you see anything uh, in Australia or was it literally shoot and come home?
1: Oh no, it was, it was, it was definitely a boondoggle. Like we we stayed in a hotel and like I'd get up. Okay, we have casting at four. Okay, I guess I have to wake up early and go over and rent a surfboard at Bondi Beach for the day. And like we worked hard, but still, it definitely didn't need us there for that long. And uh, and my in my partner at the time, she actually went on to New Zealand to shoot an exterior of this like hunting lodge. And I wasn't an art director, so I went home. But she, like, went and stayed at this, like, insanely exclusive lodge for a couple nights and shot the exterior. And then she went home. But, like, and that was, honestly, for two seconds in the commercial. And she went there for two days and, like, shot this (laughs) thing.
0: Sounds like a good deal.
1: Yeah. Back in the days of big budgets. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I had one where I remember we went to – cabo and it was get up and shoot at sunrise take off you know from 10 till 3 and go do whatever then shoot from three to sun or really shoot i guess makeup hair was at three so really shoot from like four or five until sunset and then the next day i think the first day was all scouting but that took literally an hour so we got there and then just got to scout then we did the shoot the next day then the next day we had the shoot but it was we finished by 9 a.m. and then had the rest of the day and we just went and hung out and I love those shoots. Those were fun. Yeah,
1: There's, yeah, like a lot of times, you know, the, the, the like the best stuff will come for that, right? It's, yeah. it's like, yeah, like people are saying like, oh, you have so much time padded and it's like, well, you know, like magic happens
0: at weird times. So <laughs> I think it helps when you're not also pressured. Like we, pro- we could have done those two days of shooting, or day and a half, or whatever of shooting, we could have done it all in one day, but it would have been a lot more pressure, a lot more people scrambling to get things done, and it wouldn't have been as good. I think. Yeah. Yeah, hundred so um, percent.
1: Oh, I have another really fun like shoot shoot moment, but this one is more like in the prep. So we shot. A, we wrote this campaign for uh, um, for Chase Bank, and it required a celebrity, but that was part of it. And so we actually were going to work with Jeff uh, Jeff Jenkins, and and like we were writing these scripts with him, and then he couldn't do the job. And so we ended up, the client suggested that we use Chevy Chase, and like he was my like you know like i like i love all the oh, movies yeah. like caddyshack and fletch and it was just incredible and uh so the first call we have with him he's looking at the script and he just starts ripping apart the punctuation <laughs> and it's like who wrote this and i was like ah uh, that that would be me mr so it was like that was my first thing with him and then but the most interesting part was when we the part of the contract was a meet and greet so we went to his house in la and it was just a house that he was renting while filming community and we pull up and i was like wow this is you know kind of modest compared to what i thought it would be but it just come to find out it was just a house he was renting and so we walk in and there's chevy chase um I'm sitting on his couch with the client and two other people. ESPN is playing on the television. And Chevy Chase is walking back and forth doing wardrobe. And as he passes, he stops and he makes funny comments about the people on ESPN. And I was just like, this is the most surreal moment of my life. That's very
0: like, cool.
1: I'm in Chevy Chase's living room and he's just like making funny th- comments on espn like is this real like it just it just felt one of those moments where like am i in a dream because this is just odd yeah so very cool yeah it was cool did
0: you get a picture with them or anything i did
1: i did it was but it was uh i don't know i think i was wearing a a pink shirt and uh i looked weird (laughs) that's that's probably why i don't share very
0: often (laughs) hey but it's still you and chevy chase yeah man which is kind of cool i think Pretty cool. So you've won a ton of awards. So you must be pretty decent at your job. You know what like I
1: I can't take credit for those at all. Like the like like it, it you know it's interesting because like behind awards are a lot of like really awesome people that you know like great account people, great agencies, uh you know great clients. Um, there's a lot that goes into that, and I learned a lot from my old boss Noel Cottrell. and I'm so thankful for him because he really taught me a lot about award shows and and you know creating great work to 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 go into award shows and um, so I'm very thankful for him and my old uh, partner Mike Grunewald, which it looks like Grunewald. I was gonna say, it, how do you say it, that again? Grunewald. <laughs> I think that's right. But uh, yeah, it's like, we had fun working at Fitsco and creating some great work for Coke. And it was like, it took a village. Like there were a lot of really great people, Sherman Winfield and James and, and, you know, like there's just a really great amount of people putting in a lot of effort for those, for those ideas. And, and I'm, you know, I'm thankful for them because like, honestly, like awards are hard and creating great work is hard. Cause you can, a lot of people can come up with great work, but then you have to sell through to the client and you know, it's so it, it takes a lot of different people.
0: How does it help you that you were on the um, client side? not that you're on the agency side, Do you, I mean, does it help with the understanding of what they're thinking now as but maybe before you were on the client side?
1: Man, I always like preach that when I went client side, it's like I got a PhD in advertising and and just like realized, and I, it's something I never want to forget about, you know, being inside of there and seeing how clients work and, and redefining how you present work to them based on what I experienced at Orange Theory. Like I'm telling you, it was such an eye-opening, amazing experience.
0: Yeah, I see that.
1: I know, you know, I've just kind of maybe realized that I've I've been doing it wrong for the better part of my career. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, hey, at least you figured it out. Yeah, because at the end of the day, it's like you have to match your creative idea with a business problem that they're trying to solve. Right. That's that's the simplest way to put it. It's like they don't care about your funny commercial unless that funny commercial really is going to help them out and move business in the right direction.
0: Yeah. My wife had, I had never really known about, you know, everything I've done has been through the agency or directly with the client. And so I haven't really experienced all that stuff that goes on between the agency and the clients. I've been involved in the middle of some stuff where I'm set to shoot in three days and the client and the agency have a big blowout and the agency fires the client. So I've had that kind of stuff happen. But my wife, they were looking for an agency to help them rebrand and watching everything. She's the COO of her company and watching everything that happened on her end and hearing how she was talking and what, what she was needing out of, the, out of the agency and what they weren't giving her. And it was interesting to see how that happened. You know, and then I, they didn't go with some of the bigger agencies around here. I'm in Charlotte. Um, they were going with some smaller ones and just praise mainly budget reasons reasons. And it was interesting to watch how after talking to some of my friends that are at bigger agencies and then seeing what the smaller agencies did, there was a huge difference. Like the bigger agencies were talking about how they would get in and talk to them and really understand what's going on with them and what they wanted and what they needed. Where the smaller agency was like, oh, well, here, here are five Eight different different types of logos. We think you guys will like. And my wife's looking there, going, "This doesn't fit us at all. This has right. nothing to do with what we told you about us." So it was interesting to watch all that happen. Yeah. So back to with,
1: like with, that's what with means. Like with, and that's why I loved it so much because it was everything that I learned client side is what they do. It's like they really get in and understand the client as and use that to influence the work and i was like wow that's i mean that's basically what i you know like what i learned at orange theory and that's how i want to do things so that's awesome yeah and I it, it
0: makes a huge difference
1: dude it's smart because because it's like like you were saying like i'll never forget when i was working at orange theory and i won't name the agency but they were presenting some scripts and like one of the scripts is like yeah so the, the 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 person finishes the uh finishes the class and the instructor says and it's like okay, well we don't call them instructors, we call them coaches. Um yeah, so the so the so the person, well, we call them members. So the member leaves the studio, it goes into the locker room. Well, we don't really have locker rooms at Orange Theory. And it was just sort of like, oh my gosh, this person is presenting wow. a script and they've never taken an orange theory class in their life. And that wow. like that's when I realized, like, oh my gosh, like. Clients really care if you actually know about their business. It's like, here I am, you know, I was on the other side and sort of like complaining about clients, but I was like, wow, it makes sense why they would get mad
0: because I'm paying you money. Yeah. And you should know what I do for a living. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the way it was with my wife's company because she was complaining about them. And I'd always heard the clients complain, my agency clients complaining about their clients and what, how difficult they were being. And then after hearing on my wife's side, I was like, well, now I get it, you know, because they're not meeting what the client needs. And so that's cool that you guys are really doing that.
1: It's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, and it's definitely something they've always done from the beginning. And they have a really cool process that more or less like onboards new clients and, oh, cool. and really, you know, really sticks them in a room for a couple of days and, uh, you know, goes through this, this process in which we really get to understand the client. And then from that, we present something back to them. And then from that, we get to go in on work. And so it's the things of like, hey, what keeps you up at night? And, you know, what are your business problems? what are your opportunities? Like they actually go off and interview people in the company and not just like the CEO, but like other people and find out like, what makes this place tick? That's smart. It's yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, like that's why I loved it so much. And what really sort of like, you know, enticed me to unfortunately leave Orange Theory, which was a dream job for me. And I, you know, I still love it and value that place so much and go back to agency land. It was that like, I be- really believed in this agency's process.
0: Yeah. So have you guys shot any since this whole coronavirus thing is?
1: Um, at Orange Theory, we shot a, We shot a, I mean, a ton. We shot a daily, we shot daily workouts. We also shot, you, you know, guys have a studio there.
0: The shooting or do you go somewhere to shoot?
1: So they were in the process of building one. Like there was a whole content studio that they were gonna build out, like this gigantic space. It was gonna be amazing. Um, but coronavirus kind of put the kibosh in that. Yeah. Uh so they just use a couple places that are nearby, and but it's all done. Like Margin, who's my producer on our series, she's like, she's a guru. Like she, that woman could pull off anything in the drop of a hat. She was amazing. And so everything was very safe. Uh, and, you know, if you didn't feel like doing it, then you obviously didn't have to.
0: Damn. All right, yeah. man. That's very cool. So let's talk a little bit about um, these children of yours. Okay. So I saw that you have your son is into Metallica. Your daughter likes to surf. Well, she likes to she likes to um, skate like long skateboard. Oh, okay, all right, longboard. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. Because I was going to ask, where are you surfing? <laughs>
1: yeah, no, surfing. So,
0: believe it or not, like
1: I've discovered the longboard at uh, skate parks. My son and I went to during lock, not during lockdown, but like on the during uh, on the. Heels of virtual school, he and I would after school go boogie down and go to skate park. We went there every single day. Really? Oh yeah, it was awesome. Like he That's very he, cool. he was he's a monster on the uh, on the scooter. And he's only six. Really? Oh yeah. And then uh yeah, my daughter, my dot my kids are very opposite. My daughter's more like me in that she's her brain is constantly firing and going and 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 she's an extrovert and then my son is a little more reserved except for when you get him on a soccer field and then it just sort of like there's this there's this animal it's funny cuz my <laughs> wife's nickname growing up was animal really on, on the uh, on the basketball court and he just like he goes to town. like he just like this this like this like thing comes out of him and he's just like all of a sudden he's just a force and now he's obsessed with uh, Messi, and and watched Messi videos and he's gonna play travel soccer and oh, wow. he's he's I mean like I gotta admit like he's good yeah he like has the footwork he pulls the ball back he really? nutmeg kid which like kicked it between his legs. And, and in a two games scored 10 goals, it was, you know, I mean, six years old. So right, yeah, but still, but still it was like, it's so much like I had a parent come up to me after one of the games says like, and he was a, he was a Hispanic man. And he said, Hey, is that, is that your son number two? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, he's really good. And I was like, man, that's a good feeling when, you know, a parent from a, from the opposite team comes over and, Oh, yeah. you and he's great and then my daughter is a very good she's really into dance and she's just she's very creative and and she's just she's funny she wants to be an actress or an art teacher or i think okay. it changes every day. <laughs> she's she's awesome she was she's always been my adventure buddy and
0: she's just a she's just a really good kid you're probably in a good place for her Either one of those actress or art teacher, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Oh, so watch out for travel soccer, man. My daughters both did travel volleyball. That's oh, yeah. god, mighty. <laughs> oh,
1: dude. Well, he so Knox's travel soccer is like thirty minutes away too.
0: Oh, okay, that's not bad. Yeah, ours were like we're in, we're in North Carolina, and we were at one point we were going to. I think it was Ohio, Kentucky, Florida, oh my God Georgia, Tennessee, all in one season, yeah, because when you hit that like it sounds like he would be in the one of the top the top teams in which my daughters were, and so it was constantly going when they were little, it was nicer because it was literally an hour hour and a half away kind of stuff. So if they were split off, it wasn't a big deal. We could I could go one, my wife could go the other. But then when they got older, my my oldest one stopped playing, but then my youngest one kept playing. And I mean, that's when we started getting into going to these ridiculous places. And luckily they weren't going to Colorado. Like a few years before they'd been flying out to Colorado to play. And
1: Ooh, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah, that's it's I mean, it's amazing how sports you know start at a young age and it's and i think someone just had an interesting idea and i can't remember who it was one of the agencies but it was sort of like this idea it was like the idea of a kid retiring at nine yeah and and it was and it was brilliant because like you you just realized that like at what point are you supposed to sort of like say to your kids it's time to be competitive but if you do it too early Then you run the risk of them burning out but if you don't do it early enough you run the risk of them sort of like it's
0: it's it's one of the many things that's incredibly
1: hard about being a parent
0: (laughs) oh yeah my my like i said my oldest stopped playing after her sophomore year in in, uh, high school she was just like she didn't like the pressure she didn't like her she had bad teams where the girls were constantly screaming at you and so she didn't like the pressure and she was middle. So basically she, her job was basically to block the ball and occasionally hit it, but she just didn't like it. And my youngest, she was set to play. I mean, everybody was talking about her playing D1, going to college. And about the same time, sophomore year, she was just like, I want to keep playing at school and play the travel light where we don't really travel much. And it's girls who had been planning on going to college, who decided not to, because she basically just burned out on it. Like, I don't want to do it anymore. That
1: is, I mean, you just summed up my uh, my college lacrosse career. Yeah, it was just sort of like I got when I got to college and I started playing. I was like, wow, this is like, this is like kind of this is like kind of serious. And then I'll never forget it was during the halftime in one of the games, and there was this older guy who actually went to my high school, and now I was at Chapman where I, where I played, and his name was Mike Bonifazi, just like fiery Italian dude. And he's just yelling at me because I think I'd missed a pass. Yeah. And I was just, and I was just sort of like, I, like, I'm playing for a smaller school in California. This isn't like a career for me. Yes, I really want our team to win, but like this ain't the way to do it. Yeah. Well, the <laughs> so worst was, part
0: is when you get yelled at by somebody who either just screwed up or isn't very good. Yeah.
1: I mean, <laughs> unfortunately, Mike was very good. And so, like, he could yell at people, but at the same time, like, that wasn't how I worked. Like, if you yeah. start yelling at me, like, I shut down. I'm not that I'm not going to, I'm not going to spring to life. I'm just going to, like, I'm going to go the opposite direction.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the thing about having <laughs> a, the right coach is they've got to know how their players work. Cause my daughter, my oldest, she had a coach that, thing think was her second year in high school. He screamed at all of them like they were guys. And you watched all these girls. The more he yelled at them, the worse they played. And then he'd get so mad, he'd shut up. And then you'd watch him start playing better, you know, when he, when he stopped screaming at them. It's, it's,
1: it's so amazing. Like, people, yeah, I don't know. Such right. And not. when
0: you talk about the whole when to start and when not, I have a friend who played in the NFL for 13 years. He said he never played football until he hit high school. He says, you know, and it, he said it came down to just talent. If you're going to go, he said, if you're going to go to pros, no matter what sport it is, he said, most likely you're very athletic and you can drop into a sport, say in middle school or yeah. late middle school or early in high school and be okay. But it, like my daughter, she started, my oldest started in seventh grade, I think playing volleyball. And my youngest is three years behind her, but she started hitting the volleyball, like playing with my daughter in the yard or whatever. She would get up from lunch or dinner and go bang the volleyball up against the wall back and forth, and then come sit back down to finish eating. And then she started playing probably fifth grade, maybe fourth grade, fifth grade, something like that. I think fifth grade. And like I said, by the time she hit ninth, 10th grade, 10th grade, she was burnt out. And then she heard a college coach go, you know, if you come play here, we own you. Don't expect to go home for your full spring break. Don't expect to go home for Thanksgiving. If you live out of town, you know, and she's like, yeah, I'm not doing that.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. Chapman was that same way. There was a, there was a, you had this incredibly long break, but there was this thing called interterm and interterm was like, you could take a class. And I remember this one class was called cathedrals of Europe. And it was literally like, you could go over to Europe and study cathedrals and get credit for it. That's well, a cool class. But if you're on the lacrosse team, you were back January 4th. And so we were in the dorms a whole month before anyone was even back, and doing two day practices. Yeah. And I'm like, screw this. I could be in Europe right now. You know, I'm over 18 and I could be drinking a beer, but you right. know, <laughs> like working my butt off and getting yelled at by Mike Bonifazi. <laughs>
0: So tell me about this Airbnb thing that you have up on your site. It's just like tons of Airbnbs. Is that from when you were at Orange Theory? Oh yeah. So if, I, if somebody has a foot fetish, they should go check it out because it's just <laughs> does that everyone? Someone would comment and be like,
1: "Oh, oh, like why do you must you take pictures of your feet?" It's like, well, because I started off that way, and like, yeah. I have, to, I have to maintain the aesthetic. So South Florida is just a strange place in general. And Orange Cherry would give me a travel stipend. And you know, like if I wanted to use it, I had to use it sparingly, or that's just how I chose to use it. Right. That was at first. And then after a while I was like, wow, this is just really interesting. So I would go stay in Airbnbs. And I would always look for ones that were like under a hundred dollars a night. Because I was there for like three or four nights and then so the further into the winter it got the worse the places got and the more expensive they got because oh, yeah. that's when all the snowbirds come down yeah so i would start in the middle of summer like on the beach in Deerfield Beach and then by the winter time i would be in a sh- in a shared apartment in Pompano Beach or inland and so i just started like taking pictures of them and really like just like looking at all the weird stuff that happens and, and, and just writing about my experience because it was just so strange. Yeah. South Florida and, is a
0: strange place
1: to begin with. Oh man. It's like, it, that place should be a science experiment. <laughs> it's, and it's not, not to say that it's a bad place. It's just ripe with interesting. Oh Yeah. And that's what and that's what I did on these Airbnbs. I was just like, man, like there's a tattooed face guy that like is watching over the place I'm in. And I just texted the owner that there's no remote controls. And here he is showing up banging on my door. And I'm like, yo, I don't really need a remote that bad because like you look like you can kill me. <laughs> and I just want to watch TV.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was looking for one one time and it was literally a trailer on the side of like in a parking lot someplace for 100 120 a night or something like that. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Yeah. All right, man, well, we're hit about an hour. So let's get to, the, I'm going to give you the last question. And I'll let you go. What is the strangest or most interesting thing that's happened to you since you've been in this world of advertising? Um.
1: That's a really good question. So I'll give, I'll give like an example of like when I first got into the business and I was um, an intern, I was an intern at McCann. And like, cause I feel like this is incredibly relevant because it just shows like, like students in that position are just like, like, what do I got to do? Like, like, like I'll do anything. And so there was one of the creative directors. I'm not going to say his name. Cause I don't know. I just don't, I yeah. just don't want to say it. And like, and, and I was always like admired his work and I thought it was great. And like, I was really trying to like get in with him and like get into the know with him. And, and one day he just never noticed me. And he had this big office and I was always like admired his office and like all these awards that he won. And it was fantastic. And one day I was walking by his office. He's like, Hey, Hey, come in here. And I was just like, Oh my gosh. Like, he's going to ask me about myself. He's going to give me an assignment. He's really going to like take me under his wing. He's like, pulls out a cigar. He's like, do you have a match? <laughs> and that was it. And it was just sort of like, now that I look back on that, it's like those sort of experiences has really like influenced the kind of person that I want to be in this industry. And I'm never going to ask anyone for a match. I'm never going to claim that I'm better than anyone. Like we're all equals and we're all just trying to like slug through work and, and, you know, and do great things.
0: Is that so still was around? Really
1: like influential small moment, but it was, has played a bit has had a big impact on who the kind of person i want to be
0: i could see that yeah is he still around do you know
1: i highly doubt it (laughs) but the woman the woman that worked with him who was not like that and she's actually amazing and is uh, joyce king thomas and she you know came up with the priceless campaign for mastercard and she was there and but she she was not this person like joyce was amazing and great and eventually was my cco at mccann but i That's loved her yeah she's great A
0: very great woman well, dude thank you so much i really appreciate uh, you agreeing to do this uh, you too thank you so much sir yeah man absolutely. Reach, out, reach out anytime yeah thank you thank you and anybody watching listening thumbs up it like it comment follow subscribe whatever you're supposed to do to- on podcast. (laughs) All right, sir. All right, man. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Bye, brother. Appreciate you. Hi.